I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of January 2021, which means it is time for another Tales from the Shelf! Uh, in joining me in this endeavor, uh, I have my good buddy, uh, Brad, from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going excellent. You know, it's a new year. It's a new time to uh, really look at your shelf and, you know, maybe pull out some highlights or maybe shovel through the shit. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you have any New Year's resolutions regarding your shelf, but uh, it's uh, definitely the time to do it. I mean, shuffling through some shit on my shelf is definitely something I should have been doing, you know, over the past, I don't know, decade and a half, maybe <laughs> <laughs> two decades, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but you and I both know that's never going to happen. Um, exactly. I, I, I hoard all manner of shit, movies included, <laughs> um, which uh, brings us to the theme of this month's Tales from the Shelf, Brad. Uh, so you uh, had the honor of selecting the theme um, regarding what tales from what shelves we will be exploring this month. And uh, Brad, you had a pretty uh, clever title there. Uh, what What is it we're going to be talking about today? We're dipping into the DV Dumpster. The DV Dumpster are uh, terrible movies, are crap DVDs, um, which, yeah, I guess it, it is worth saying that, you know, I'm always the one that is uh, vomiting anytime we mention DVDs, but I was the one that uh, came up with this idea for some reason, um, and I don't know why I put myself through it, because looking at my DVDs and my collection and my shelf, it's, uh, you know, it was not, it was not a fun process. I was like, I got to get rid of this trash. I got to just get this out of here. (laughs) I mean, I can see the veins popping on your forehead as you're speaking (laughs) about it. I mean, I must be rubbing off on you a little bit because I've said many, many times on this show in the past that I have like somewhat like masochistic viewing tendencies. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times people will go on and on and on about how crap something is. And I'll be like, yeah, tell me more. (laughs) And then I'll end up, you know, spending good money on the thing to obtain it. And then I'll put it on my shelf and, you know, more than likely watch it more than once. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, in case you're not aware, uh, folks at home, uh, Brad has just a general disdain uh, for the DVD format. Um, as long as I've been talking to the guy, he just shits all over DVDs. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what they did. Like maybe they like beat up a sibling of his, or like, <laughs> like pushed his dad's car off a cliff when he was a child or something. But yeah, he has it out for DVD, and I still don't exactly know why. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I totally understand why either. It's just, maybe it's partly just because they still sell more than Blu-rays. Maybe that I've just got to. But yeah, DVDs. I at least. From what I know, the most recent information I've been given, they still sell more than uh, Blu-rays because, you know, a lot of the people that do buy physical media, there's the collectors, but a lot of people might just be, you know, your uh, aunt and uncle who are like, oh, let's go to Best Buy and pick out a movie to watch, and they're just going to buy whatever's cheapest. They don't care what it looks like. So that could be part of it. And also, you know, just sometimes sometimes you just got to let something die. And uh, DVD just, it refuses to die. They, um they still are out there at Best Buy, and uh, some movies are still only coming out on DVD, like uh, Kajillionaire, which was a 2020 movie, got great reviews, no Blu-ray release, came only on, on DVD. Like, what a joke. What a joke. 
I mean, you almost made me do a spit take there when you mentioned the sales. Yeah, I, I saw. Uh, that, that, that's shocking to me, but you know the the allure of the bargain bin is not is not something to you know turn your nose up at. Like yeah. the, a lot of people do do their shopping that way, but it's people like you that made uh, Ben Affleck Daredevil a successful film. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I, I I think it's fascinating actually the movies that do come directly to DVD. Because in in this day and age, it it I want to say it's probably not very cost effective for a for a, a distributor to to take on that duty of, mm-hmm. of printing those discs. Because it, it I I would have to imagine the manufacturing cost is negligible, but you know, just the logistics of getting the thing out there is probably not very cost effective. And I mean, I still buy DVDs fairly regularly because I'm a Scott Adkins fanatic. Uh, therefore that requires me to sometimes buy dvds because a lot of his stuff comes you know almost exclusively direct to video in some format and more often than not it's direct to dvd rather than blu-ray um and i don't know if it's because i've kept up with that habit uh, pretty much since the inception of the format but it's it i guess it hasn't bothered me as much as as it has you <laughs> maybe just yeah. the knowledge that there exists something better <laughs> is enough to irk you or something yeah i think it's just like you look at what blu-ray was like first became a thing in what 2007 somewhere around there um and so i mean you look at blu-ray and blu-ray is old i mean we're we're coming up on 14 years here of blu-ray and it's like at this point, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but DVD should be gone. I mean, was VHS did not stick around that long into the DVD cycle. Um, so I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you know, if you got if you can only watch the movie on DVD and it's a Scott Atkins movie, I'm not going to blame you for buying the DVD. I blame I blame the studio for, uh, you know, not having the guts to put it on Blu-ray or maybe the people that won't buy it on Blu-ray. Maybe I, they're the ones that I blame, actually. Yeah, that, that's who I blame. Well, I will continue to blame the people who hoard the Thomas Jane Punisher discs and the Ben Affleck Daredevil discs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't forget Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider as well, uh, because there is a reason we got two of those, and it's not because the first one was good. Yeah. It's more than likely because the DVD sales were through the roof. Um, but, yeah, one thing I'll say about the format, and I think I said this maybe the first time we recorded together doing one of these, was just the... Uh, DVD hasn't aged, I think, as gracefully as something like VHS or Beta or even like Laserdisc has. Yeah. Like, there's something about the presentation of the image, like fidelity, that just doesn't. It doesn't have that quality to it that gives it. I don't know some some sort of texture to quote Joss Whedon. You know, like if you're watching a VHS tape, it has it has that particular type of grain. You know, sometimes people are nostalgic for things like adjusting tracking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. With DVD, it's just no, you get like random artifacting, and it just looks kind of scummy. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like you're dealing with an antiquated format. It has no real charm to it. So I I could see how you know looking at it is just a crappy digital movie. It really does take away something from the experience, and I mean it needs to be said as old as Blu-ray is, uh, the presentation the presentation is still quite handsome for the most part. Like it, mm-hmm. it's kind of the standard that we've all become accustomed to, and uh, it takes a specific set of eyes to really discern the difference between a 4K and a Blu-ray disc. I mean, I can put my hand up and say I'm one of those people, but I can certainly tell you that my girlfriend probably doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And some Blu-rays, I mean, you know, depending on the uh, label that does the the transfer, you know, some Blu-rays look better than some 4Ks. I mean, uh, so, you know, Blu-ray is still got a special place in my heart and uh you know i don't think that's if dvd is not going away i don't think blu-ray is going to be going away anytime soon um but that being said brad who's going first um you might have a bigger stack than i do so maybe i'll, I'll let you uh take the reins unless you, unless you want me to lead it off and set the tone i guess <laughs> i mean i would appreciate if you get this uh dv dumpster a rolling <laughs> okay all right i don't mind um yeah, a lot of the DVDs I have are kind of movies I watched when I was much younger, and then just either they never came out on Blu-ray or I never upgraded them. So there's a lot of you know just garbage on my shelf that you know I've watched once and don't have much to say about. So I tried to pick a few things that I've watched um, at least a few times. Um, and let's start off with a movie that, in my mind, actually. I st- probably the last time I watched this, I would have still said I like this movie. I don't know if I would anymore, um, but that is the DVD, of course, of Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid, <laughs> which, um, you know, this is a, a genre of uh, a, a definitely a guilty pleasure of mine. I love creature features, eat em ups whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I watched the, uh, sequel Anacondas, you know, a fair number of times, uh, when it came out, cause kind of hit at that age where I was still young enough to just sort of like want to indulge in just a really crappy horror movie like this with some buddies and still have some fun. Um, and, uh, I have rewatched the original Anaconda, which I th- still think has its merits. Um, I'm guessing this one would be not as good. And the one thing that I think I would probably really criticize now is the effects, um, which I have to imagine some of the CG is probably not going to hold up. And I don't think there were many practical effects in this one. I could be wrong. Um, I know the first one had some practical effects, which honestly did not look that great, but uh, are kind of fun in a, you know a goofy, hokey B-movie sort of way. But I mean, anacondas. What, what can you say? They 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 took the alien uh, aliens format and they uh, they ran with it. They upped the number of anacondas, and you know, I I have to admit, I kind of do want to revisit it just because you know it's just that kind of movie where you just sometimes you want to watch something and turn your brain off. It is bad. It does belong in a dumpster, especially because uh, this is one of those DVDs where you can choose both full screen and anamorphic widescreen. Which, um, I have to admit, I think the first time I, uh, this might have been my first experience with a, a double, a DVD where I had both. And I think when I put it in, I had no idea what each of them was. Um, and I'm probably embarrassed to say I probably chose full screen at the time. Because I was young, I was naive, and I was stupid. But, uh, what can you do? You gotta, you gotta learn. You live, you learn. <laughs> yeah, they slapped those anacondas on a plastic lunchbox and... They sold them. Yes. <laughs> yep. uh, you know, I actually haven't seen that film. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember, I think it got a theatrical release. Yep. Um, which is, you know, kind of outstanding for, for that kind of movie in that era. Uh, it says here 2004. Damn. So it, it was kind of late. Like, it. that's, you know, eight years or something after the first one. It's, it's a long time after. Yeah. Um, and... All the marketing suggested most of the snake effects were going to be done in CGI. 
Um, I seem to remember seeing some marketing on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, David Hasselhoff was in one of the Anaconda films. Was it that one? No, it was number three or number four, which I have okay. not seen. Um, I should check those out, though. <laughs> I mean, the, it, it's funny because we've talked about this before on the show. I, I love animal attack movies. Eat em ups, as you call them. Yep. <laughs> I kind of love that, actually. Uh, this is a genre that I have the softest of soft spots for. Um, so this is a movie I would definitely check out. Although the, I don't know, 2004 CGI Anacondas, I could see that being kind of rough. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the marketing made it look like essentially a slasher movie with snakes. And you could do a lot worse than that. And it's really amazing, actually. I'm looking at the uh, the uh, filmography of the director, uh, Dwight H. Little. And holy shit, this guy's done some stuff. Like, he, he did the Brandon Lee vehicle Rapid Fire. He did the Steven Seagal vehicle Marked for Death. Uh, he did the Robert Englund Phantom of the Opera. He did Halloween 4. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Murder at 1600. And uh, he kind of fell off pretty hard in the 2000s, though. Um, the last big one here that jumps out at me was, uh, funny enough, we're in the midst of our uh, video game movie month. Tekken from 2010, which we will not be covering because that shit is too bad to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I actually would, I would very much like to watch this Anacondas film. <laughs> I'm definitely curious to revisit it. Um, I mean, just like the, uh, the quote on the front of the uh, DVD, I almost said Blu-ray on the DVD um, from Steve Chupnik of WBFF TV Fox. He says, it's a slithering good time, which that is a good quote. That is a good quote, a slithering good time. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's a film that I feel like it does know what it is, and I remember having fun with it. Um, I don't know if it would hold up, but uh, the first one I, I thought was still a pretty fun little, uh, you know, creature feature. Yeah, actually, I... I have again the softest of soft soft spots for anaconda i've watched that movie countless times that in deep blue sea i went through like a Mm. phase where those were my movies i just watched them over and over and over again Uh, much to the chagrin of my brother uh, who probably wanted to use the vcr for something else (laughs) but uh yeah anaconda is a it's a fun one Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a sucker for a, a jungle adventure movie. I feel like that's a genre that's kind of like died out a little bit. Um, more than likely due to the cost of filming on location. It's so much more cost effective to just use green screen and, you know, make everything look like ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can do that on a low budget and, and save a lot of money. Um, but I feel like that was a, a genre that was really, really popular in the 90s because we had like congo and arachnophobia and many many other films i think i can't remember if medicine man came out in the 90s but there there was like a general fascination with just the continent of africa mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the amazon in the 90s and i was bombarded with all that imagery and it you know those movies like treasure hunt movies with monsters are the best kind of treasure hunt movies <laughs> um so i wouldn't mind a resurgence of something like that and anaconda definitely scratches that itch for me because you know it's a river ride adventure movie that you know occasionally has snakes you know barfing john voights at people yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, when he when he winks i remember that 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 really creeped me out when he winks when the ana kind of spits him up that is a good moment that is a fantastic moment i don't know if he <laughs> improvised that but i'm so glad it's in the movie and yeah i i love uh the little bit of makeup detail when a uh, 
when it's constricting him and his uh his jaw dislocates mm, mm-hmm. i was like oh fuck dude <laughs> like yeah. this movie wasn't very violent but in terms of like like explicit content that's like you don't see that every day <laughs> yeah they they did a good job at making it for a pg-13 movie there were some a few moments like uh the guy who gets the bug in his throat and uh yeah there, there were a few moments that are you know pushing the boundaries there yeah, poor Eric Stoltz can't yeah. show up to the set without being forced to wear heavy makeup. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm sure he shows up to every film expecting to be like, hey, I'm a handsome guy, they'll want to use that. It's like, no, Eric, we're going to put you in pounds of makeup. Or in the case of Anaconda, we're going to put you in pounds of makeup and put you in a coma for 80% of the movie. And he's like, God damn it. Like, yeah. Every fucking time. Yeah, well, hopefully he got a nice paycheck out of that one. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, he got to hang out in South America for a while, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. like, get to admire the scenery and the wildlife, probably, you know, hang out with Ice Cube off hours. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that was fun. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure they had a good time together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to add uh, Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid to my watch list, because I bet you I bet you it's on Tubi. Oh this yeah, seems this, like, this seems like a Tubi movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, you gotta you gotta mention the title. Like, it's not just Anacondas. Anacondas: The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh man. Also, one thing that's kind of funny. Um, last thing I'll say about it before we move on is, uh, if you look at the poster, they took like pretty much the same uh, painting of the snake's face looking directly at you uh, that they used for the first Anacondas title. But they just like stretch the eyes wider apart. <laughs> it's like, what's up with that snake's head? <laughs> like, yeah, it's really yeah. wide and flat. <laughs> Had to differentiate it a little bit, I guess. I guess, but it looks really odd. Like the proportions <laughs> are totally wrong. But uh, graphic design gripes aside, uh, thanks for bringing that one up because uh, definitely gonna put it on my watch list. Yeah. Um, so I guess the ball is to me, and uh, being as you. Uh, kick things off with a sequel i will do the same uh so i have here blood sport 4 the dark kumite (laughs) (laughs) starring daniel bernhardt uh so brad first thing i'll ask you have you seen blood sport I have not seen Bloodsport 1, Bloodsport 2, Bloodsport 3, or Bloodsport 4, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Brad. Why am I wasting my time talking to you? <laughs> okay, so a uh, little history lesson. Um, the original Bloodsport, I think, came out in 88. And while it was not Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie, it was kind of like the one that really catapulted him to some form of stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a canon production. And apparently it sat on a shelf for a couple of years. Like, even even the canon group felt that Bloodsport was not releasable. That <laughs> says quite a bit about the production. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny, because it's not a very bad movie. Like, it's a bad movie, but it's like an entertaining form of bad that I absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of rumors suggesting that Van Damme, like, actually kind of wormed his way into the editing room and actually supervised the edit of the finished film and Mm -hmm. was kind of responsible for even getting it released (laughs) because it was in such a dismal state of affairs that, again, the canon group didn't want to release it. Anyway, it was like the big movie that put him on the map and started getting him more and more like headlining roles. Canon gave him his start. I think Cyborg was also done with them as well. Uh, I don't know if Kickboxer was, but that came out like a year or two later. 
Um, anyway, uh, as seems to be customary for the martial arts subgenre of film, uh, direct to direct to video sequels are are very very common. <laughs> um, so, uh, at least in this subgenre. Uh, so, in the case of Bloodsport, we got three of them, and uh, all three of them are headlined not by Jean Claude Van Damme but by another fellow by the name of Daniel Bernhardt, who, even if you don't know his name, you certainly have seen him before. Um, because he's he's one of the like headlining members of uh, 8711 Stunt Productions. Uh, so he's like best buds with Chad Stileski, uh, okay. a.k.a. the guy who makes the John Wick movies. Yeah. And what's kind of amazing about Bloodsport 2 and 3 is that, yes, they're, they're direct-to-video schlock. Uh, they're about the same level of production quality as the first blood sport um in some ways actually the martial arts choreography is superior um like in fact i'd say quite a bit better because the first blood sport actually doesn't have great fighting it just has a lot of slow motion and uh van damme was at his limber best <laughs> so you get a lot of slow motion splits and <laughs> and the soundtrack was phenomenal and it, it added up to an excellent film even though the fighting was kind of anemic by you know today's standards anyway yeah um, but yeah bloodsport 2 and 3 somehow um have better fight choreography and if you look at the the various like stunt players that are just kind of there to fall down holy shit it's like a murderer's row of like the top tier talent of today so in the mid 90s these guys were absolute nobodies these guys were people that were just like called in in a hurry like hey can you fly down to thailand to get kicked in the face for an afternoon it's like, yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> but now they're the guys who are making like literally all of the biggest action movies hollywood can make like i said daniel bernhardt he's on he's both in front of and behind the camera for most major action films these days chad stileski of course is the is the mastermind behind the john wick films and there's numerous other players that found their way into the franchise as well which brings us to Bloodsport 4 which is complete crap <laughs> i don't know what the fuck happened i'm sure it's a different it's definitely a different production crew definitely a different director totally different vision um and even daniel bernhardt who to provide context uh, has done at least one, maybe even two movies that uh, appeared on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm. <laughs> um, the highest honor. Yes, the highest of high honors. Um, he, This man has those kinds of films in his filmography, and yet this is the one that he's embarrassed to talk about. <laughs> Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Um, and when it comes to direct-to-video martial arts films, I my standards are you know pretty well in check i usually know what i'm getting into this one was like oh no i'm never watching that again case in point like the case is like in stellar condition <laughs> like it's never been taken off the shelf after the first time i watched it yeah um and it, it's also an uncomfortable movie because it's like it's probably like 70 percent softcore porn and 30 percent action movie okay and it's like oh no this is not what my this is not what i wanted in my blood sport <laughs> it sounds like it could be put out on blu-ray by vinegar syndrome based on that description this could be a vinegar syndrome title <laughs> oh yeah blood sport 4 in 4k <laughs> <laughs> and it <laughs> would look amazing mean. it would look amazing it'd be a great transfer no it it has an awful like chintzy eastern european vibe to the production where every set looks like a, a meatloaf music video the lighting is very flat. 
um you can tell they had like a, a rotating plate like in the in the center of like whatever stage they're using for all the fight scenes that they kind of exploited um to the point that's like hmm we have a we have a love scene we better put the bed on the rotating table <laughs> it's like why because it's there <laughs> and that's the style of cinematography we're going with um but yeah it's, it's a lot of that kind of stuff and then uh, on top of that the fight choreography is a huge step down from like i said the previous two films which are admittedly superior to the first one in terms of fight content for fuck's sake they got john reese davies in that third one (laughs) they actually got actors for some of these movies and by the time they get to four though it's just like this is this franchise does need to die until it will uh inevitably be revived um being as we got two new maybe even three new kickboxer movies in the 21st century i would not be surprised if somebody takes a swing at blood sport just because it's there and it's a it's the right time for it being as the like the the 80s wave is starting to peter out we're getting into like the early 90s stuff so like if you want to take that stan bush power ballad and apply it to your remake of an 80s property now is the time <laughs> otherwise the kids won't know what what the what the vibe is they won't catch the vibe um but yeah stay away from blood sport 4 it's terrible <laughs> so that that is the last one of the franchise at the moment right at the moment yes okay <laughs> Hey, well, you never know. And what year? What year was that one? Uh, I'd have to check. One second. Uh, it looks like it was not on the back. Oh, 1999. Oh, that explains a lot. So this okay. was like this was maybe four years after the third one, uh, and two and three, I believe, were filmed pretty much concurrently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was like, anybody want to do a Bloodsport four? Like, there's like one guy in the back who's like. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> it's like, you ever made a film before? No. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, you got to break into the industry somehow. Yeah, and if you were curious, the disc was put out by Lionsgate. <laughs> I should have. I should have known. I, you should have known. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there were, there was no pistol on the cover to tip you off that it was a Lionsgate film, mm-hmm. but it's. It's a Lionsgate film. <laughs> it's a Lionsgate before the Lionsgate formula was established. Yeah. And you mentioned how uh, this may have been like only the second time you've ever taken that off your shelf or something like that. Uh, definitely with mine as well. Like I was pulling them off the shelf and there was, a, you know, like on the shelf there was dust surrounding them. So there was like a little non-dust mo- like uh, indent thing where you could tell where the, the DVD was because it's just never been taken off the shelf. And I don't dust my DVD shelves. I'll dust my Blu-ray collection, but the DVDs can acquire dust. Good riddance. <laughs> You're, like, ho- secretly hoping they melt or something. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I took these off the shelf for this episode. They might literally just be going straight in the dumpster. They might not make it back on the shelf. <laughs> Actually, I, I got to be honest. I don't think I would throw any of these away. There's, there's something with each of these that would make me keep them. Um including this one right here, which I know is not on Blu-ray. And this is a movie that, again, it's not a good movie, but, you know, there's something about it that I kind of have a soft spot for it, and it might just be because when I saw it, um, I was young and I had a good time with it. And this is a movie I'm, I'm guessing you've probably never heard of. I would be shocked if you have. It's called Night Train, starring Steve Zahn, Danny Glover, and uh, Lily Sobieski. Which, you know, not a t- terrible cast. You know, you got some names in there. Um, 
this movie, for really the main reason I inclu- included it in this, is it it looks horrendous. It looks like a soap <laughs> opera. It like it is one of the worst looking movies I've ever seen in my life. And like when I watched this, I don't know what year this came out. I probably watched this in high school. Yeah, it was probably high school. Like even I like I knew enough back then to be like, wow, this movie looks like garbage. Um, <laughs> but the actual movie, you know, it's very low budget and. It's not very original. It's obviously, you know, trying to get into a, like a little bit of a Hitchcock zone. You've got uh, Steve Zahn and Lily Sobieski, who are two passengers, and uh, Danny Glover is the train conductor on this night train, and uh, they find a passenger dead. He's just dead in his seat, and there's not many people on the train. They're like, oh, okay, we got to report this dead body, and they notice that he's holding a box, and it's a box that they can't open, but they can look into it. There's like a viewing hole, and they can look into it, and they see that it's full of jewels or diamonds or something. It's like, you know, some Boku bucks in this uh, in this uh, box. And so they say, listen, let's just get rid of this guy's body. Let's throw him off the train and just pretend like he never got on, and we'll take these jewels and we'll split them between the three of us. And so the first half of the movie is them having to transport the body from, like, the back passenger car to the front of the train to drop it off. Or, so, you know, there's some stuff like that, and eventually they have to, like, chop up the body for some reason. And then the second half of the movie is them sort of, like, trying not to get caught by, I think, like, a, an, a police officer comes on the train or something. So, you know, it's it's kind of a, a fun setup in a way. Um, but, again, it's just it's very low budget. Danny Glover is not good in this. Uh, my one friend who is on my, uh, my show, Bobby, uh, we still sometimes joke in this movie, um, you know, his uh, catchphrase and lethal weapon, he's too old for this shit. In this one, he says it again and again. He goes, he's like, you got to sit in your damn seat. Like anytime something happens, he's like, go sit in your damn seat. And he probably says like four or five, five times. And so like, uh, yeah, we joke about that, how it's like, you know, that was his line in this movie. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's a weird little oddity that when I, and I rented it from Blockbuster, I still have the Blockbuster DVD that I bought probably when they were going out of business. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of sentimental value for it right there as well. And the director, uh, Brian King, has not really done much uh, since. I looked uh, on his IMDb. He directed one short film last year, and then he wrote a movie called Haunter in 2013. But that's it. I mean, I don't know I don't know what this guy's up to, but um, he can count me as one of his fans in a slightly ironic way. But, yeah, I've probably watched this movie, like, I would I would estimate at least five times. So, I mean, maybe that's saying something. Wow. Um, so I got to ask, uh, what what was it that you compelled you to buy it? Was it just like a bargain bin thing, or did the the faces on it catch your eye, or was well, it on a dare? <laughs> I I have a distinct memory. I don't know if this was I rented it in this moment, or if maybe this was a blind buy. I don't know. I have a distinct memory of being at Blockbuster. And the guy working there said something like, I was renting movies, and he was like, have you checked out Night Train? And I go, oh, no, what's what's that? And, like, I'd never heard of it. And he's like, oh, you got to watch Night Train. And I don't know if he w- – I thought, like, th- this guy was just, like, he knew movies, so I took his word. And that might have influenced me enjoying it when I first watched it. But I was like, oh, okay, let's rent that. And the, I rented it and watched it with some friends. And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the reason I watched it. It was recommended by the employee at Blockbuster, so – 
you know, it's just funny. You, you look back and, you know, that guy, he doesn't remember me at all. And yet here he's made a difference in my life where we're still talking about him. How many times have I done that with somebody and I don't even realize it? You know, life is funny. <laughs> get back in your seat. <laughs> <laughs> you get back in your seat. <laughs> that, that is exactly it. Yep. Yep. I love that you can tell that he was probably doing it that way. Like, you know, very precise in that manner because that was what was written in the script yeah and he was just feeling lazy and he was like you know i'm not going to improvise any of this shit yeah. <laughs> like i'm just going to do it exactly as it's written and for some reason nobody did a you know a control f in the script to note how many times i say the phrase get back in your seat <laughs> so fuck it we're doing it yep, <laughs> six yep. seven eight times doesn't matter <laughs> Yeah, just anytime something goes wrong, he's just like, go, go sit down. Go get, your seat. <laughs> go get back in your seat. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. But, I mean, that's part of why we do the show is because all of these movies that come off of our shelves note that we seemingly have quite a bit to say about it, even mm-hmm. when it's, you know, a kind of a terrible movie. That Like, it sounds like a pretty boilerplate Hitchcock wannabe movie. Yeah, pretty much. Um. I'm sure if I watched it today, I'd be bored out of my mind. Maybe I'd get a kick out of the get back in your seat thing. And, you know, just the, the cast, like seeing all these people like who were just starting to slip out of the mainstream. Because like mm-hmm. Lily Sobieski kind of flirted with mainstream success and then kind of fell off. And Steve Zahn actually, I think, is a good actor. He just, I don't know, he had a bad agent or something because he got a lot of funky roles uh, in the yeah. late 2000s and stuff. But um yeah, I I can't really remember many situations I had like that with like an employee at a video store, but I th- I think that's like one of like the romanticized views we all have of the idea of of having a video store is like thinking back on like Seinfeld and they had that episode at the video store with like Joel's picks and stuff. Yeah, it's like some for some reason like for movie collectors and stuff that seems like such a neat idea. And I mean, this this is the same kind of thinking that leads people to do podcasts about movies. Is like, there's like a feeling of a, a need to like share in yeah. some fashion, where it's like, I like this thing, and I I'm not certain if other people do, so I need to find a way to let them know that hey, this thing is worth your time. Um, and yeah, like working at a video store or something, and getting that shelf where you can like show off these are the things that that comprise me and my taste, like it. For some reason, that's very appealing to me anyway. Uh, I never dealt with it firsthand, but I remember we had a guy at our uh, electronics boutique at the mall near my parents' um, house when I was growing up. And you could always tell when you'd like call the store and you'd get him because he'd always make things really fucking weird for no reason. <laughs> like I remember there was a, I think it was an IDOS game. So I think it was the people that made Tomb Raider, like the early Tomb Raiders anyway. And uh, there was this game that was forever delayed called just like Ninja. And it was just, it looked like kind of a shit game. But for some reason, I was like fascinated in it. I kind of wanted it. And I called and I was like, I didn't even know when this thing was coming out because it was delayed so frequently. And I was like, hey, do you have this game? And he's like, you sure you want that? <laughs> I was like, there's just this long pause. And that's what he came back at me, a child with. And I was yeah. like, yeah. And he's like, are you really sure? <laughs> and he's, it just went back and forth for like a couple minutes. And uh, even in the store, I remember that guy always fucking with people in that way. But I don't think I ever had anyone recommend anything to me. But that's neat. I, I, unlike Anacondas, I don't think I would check out Night Train. But I'm 
so glad you shared your story of <laughs> you and Bobby having that shared joke of yeah. of that line. So that that phrase has special meaning just between the two of you, and that's so yeah. cool. Yeah, you know, <laughs> good job. Shout out to Brian, uh, Brian King. You know, I bet you if we uh, tag him in this, well, maybe we shouldn't tag him. We included his movie in DV Dumpster, but uh, I mean. <laughs> Hey, if you want to, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey Brian, if you're listening, I uh, I I like I like your movie. I I, I still I, I watched it not that long ago. Actually, I think I surprisingly gave it a not horrible rating on Letterboxd. So um, there you go. Partly out of nostalgia, <laughs> but see, we found we found a way to put a positive cap on that dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see that? You see that giant turd? It's got a really nice hat, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, moving on from Night Train, I guess the ball's to me again. And uh, I'm, I I love going back and forth with you, Brad, because it always seems like I have like a perfect compliment to whatever it is you throw at me. Um, so Night Train had Danny Glover, Lily Sobieski, and Steve Zahn on the cover, correct? Yes. Uh, so uh, the cover is entirely the reason I own this movie, and I have maybe two or three movies on my shelf expressly you know based on the contents of the cover art um so what i have here is a film by the name of cross <laughs> and in case you can't tell on the cover we have michael clark duncan okay um, vinnie jones and some guy named brian austin green um, what they don't show you is that jake Busey, tom sizemore and billy zabka pre cobra kai are in this as well really oh that's not, that's a pretty fun little cast there yeah, so this came out in 2011, and I knew I know and knew nothing about it. Uh, the way I acquired this movie, um, potentially similar to the way you got your uh, Night Train, actually, was uh, we have an establishment, a local video store here uh, in Seattle called Scarecrow Video. Um, it's famous nationwide for having potentially like the largest physical media library accessible to the public. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, if you're ever out here, that's definitely got to be a place you go to, especially since they also sell discs, and this is where I got that one from. Yeah. Um, they don't sell everything, obviously, but they have tons and tons of, like, rare media, stuff that you have to, like, put down insurance to check out. <laughs> like, I, I remember um, renting a couple of videos that, like, my parents looked at me cockeyed. They're like, you want me to do what now? <laughs> it's like, you want, you want me to put, like, put up the house just to rent a video? And I was like, Yeah. It's like, so you want to rent Ultraman, and you want me to put down collateral? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, anyway, in the bargain bin, uh, my friends and I, we had like a ritual of going through there, and uh, just for fun, we'd either go through bookstores or movie stores and just pull things off the shelf, like, in the hopes of finding the worst cover art imaginable. And while this cover art was not the worst imaginable, um... It's bad, (laughs) don't get me wrong. Uh, The description on the back of the box um, got my friend to like shove it in my face and say, you need to to buy this. Uh, So that day I walked out with uh, the Chuck Norris film, The Octagon, uh, because I'd always wanted to see it because um, my friend had shown me some clips of it a long time ago, like pre-YouTube of uh, Chuck Norris doing like internal monologue where he's like, ninja. <laughs> but they're supposed to be dead. <laughs> Nobody knows about them but me. <laughs> that movie's kind of awful, but I, I own that one. It was two dollars. This one was two ninety nine. Ooh. Oh. Um. 
but the back of the box description is what got my friend to shove it in my face and say, you need to buy this. Uh, so it says, when beautiful young women start disappearing from the streets of L.A., it's time for good guy Callan, a.k.a. Cross, and his crew of weapons experts to kick into high gear and take out the trash. <laughs> Granted incredible power by his ancient Celtic cross, Callan must fight to stop an immortal Viking from destroying mankind wow. with his doomsday device. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's all. I, fun. Yes, that's all I needed to know. Because like from the cover, like it just looks like a Lionsgate movie. Yeah, <laughs> like it just looks like okay, people shooting at each other. Um, the way the film is shot and edited, they were definitely trying to capitalize on the superhero trend that was like really getting rolling. Because this was this was surprisingly 2011. Like I didn't know that actually. Like I would have thought this was earlier. Like I would have thought this came out in like the. I don't know, Spider-Man 3 era, like 2006, mm-hmm. 2007 or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this movie is is low-budget trash. Um, it does have a huge cast of like notable faces. Um, holy shit, Robert Carradine's in there too. I didn't remember that. Danny Trejo as well, because we're in LA. Why not? <laughs> He's in everything. <laughs> yeah, so this movie does have a huge cast of notable faces. So when we did inevitably sit down to watch it, it was a lot of fun like picking out, like, holy shit, is that Billy Zabka? Because remember, yeah. this was like, I think this was even before like How I Met Your Mother and stuff. So he was definitely like not doing shit in 2011. Now he's a big, he's hot shit right now. I mean, Cross might be the reason we have Cobra Kai. We might not have Cobra Kai without Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Cross. Um, but what's really funny is this movie is exactly like I said. It, it's just kind of low-budget superhero knockoff trash. Um it's not awful. Like, it's not a amateur production by any means. Like, it's definitely a film, which is much more than can be said for some of the stuff I have on my desk right in front of me. Um, but I was not aware that uh, two sequels were made. Um, Cross wow. Wars in 2017 and Cross, colon, Rise of the Villains in 2019, neither of which have Wikipedia entries. <laughs> um, nor does the director, by the way, Patrick Durham. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a strange little movie that I never would have known about, never would have bothered to watch if not for one of my high school buddies pulling it out of a bargain bin and saying, read the back of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, stuff like that, you know, like Cross and the sequels almost make me wish I had gone into filmmaking like, I mean, I, I come on, I could make Cross 3. I mean, come on, I mean, I think we could make Cross. I think we know enough about movie knowledge that we could put together something that would be at the level of, I'm not saying I'd make, I can make a good movie, but I think I can make something that's at the level of cross three. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little full of myself there, but I mean, I, I don't know like how difficult it would be to like quote, make it, but I think we could write it for sure. Like oh, that yeah. part, that part. Yeah. Easy. Make it. I don't know. Like 2011, Michael Clark Duncan. I don't think I could like, direct him like i'd be seriously intimidated like mm-hmm. vinnie jones no problem it's just like it's like oh whatever i mean he's you know a thuggish rugby star noted for caving in people's skulls i'm not afraid of him but michael clark duncan's like he's got like actual acting chops <laughs> that's true that's true and you might want to <laughs> hang on to that uh dvd because it might be going up in value uh you kind of wrote off uh, brian austin green but he is back baby he's back in a big way he was just on the mass singer as the giraffe 
and he's now one of the judges on The Masked Dancer. So he is back. I mean, you might want to factor that into your, uh, you know, potential resale value. Uh, is he the one that had all the shit with Megan Fox or whatever? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I just think it's funny that I think this is the second time I've brought up an actor that I just kind of like waved off. And you informed me that they were on The Masked Singer. I think Mickey Rourke, <laughs> Mickey Rourke was the previous one. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. See, you know, like a lot of people like would say watching The Masked Singer is a waste of time. And in some ways I agree. But when you can like, you know, inform people that Mickey Rourke was the gremlin, it kind of makes it all worth it. It really does. I mean, it, it blew my mind and I'm my life is better for it. Like now that I know that, that the man... That man actually sang in front in front of a live audience. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's insane. It's amazing. <laughs> the best part was um, the guy who uh, did Lean on Me. I think his name is like Bill Withers or something like that. I'm not 100 percent sure on his name, but the artist who performed the song Lean on Me, who recently passed away, um, Mickey Rourke sang that song and he did it to say in honor of that singer who i guess he knew somehow and he said they were friends so he's like this is to honor my friend who recently passed away and mickey rourke cannot sing so i was like you're not doing this this guy's rolling over in his grave you're not doing him any any favors in the afterlife mickey (laughs) (laughs) shit (laughs) (laughs) okay brad well that's that's enough about cross uh ball is to you sir what you got well, I got one here. I, I pulled it off the shelf without realizing that I do own it on Blu-ray, actually. Um, but we'll just go with it. Um, and really, the reason that uh, it's considered a, a DV dumpster is because, you know, I would say out of my movies here, this is probably objectively the best. But in terms of how much I used to like it, the embarrassment makes me want to throw it in a dumpster. This has probably got the biggest drop-off of any movie in my entire lifetime. And uh, I think a lot of people would maybe be in the same boat. That is, uh, you know, the modern classic Garden State, directed by Zach Braff, which at one point I would have, you know, you could have quoted me when I was maybe uh, in high school and maybe even, yeah, potentially maybe even freshman year of college, would have said it's one of my favorite movies. And just that fact is so embarrassing to me. Just I, I think of some moments in this movie that I used to think were so profound and amazing. And I just think how stupid I was back then. Like the the one moment specifically is um one I can't remember who the character is, but one character says something to uh Zach Braff about like Hey Tim, have fun exploring the great unknown. And Zach Braff turns to him and he goes, "You too." And it's like supposed to be this like profound moment. It's the worst. It's just terrible. Um, and I, to be fair, I haven't watched it in forever. Maybe I would watch it, and somehow the magic of Zach Braff would wash over me, and I'd I'd love it again. But no, it's definitely the type of film that seems profound and incredibly well made for some to people who don't know a lot about film like you know it you know it looks okay like it's, it's competently made but it just it's it thinks it's way more precious than it actually is um and the soundtrack i like the soundtrack but it's the thing where it's like you can tell zach braff thinks he's like creating this great indie soundtrack and then it's like you know he's got cold play on there 
the shins like nothing wrong with them but it's not like these are like underground bands but they make it seem like it's that way um but you know i gotta say that this movie uh is in some way uh it was responsible for me uh dating a girl in in college so i mean it's it's got a special place in my heart because of that i suppose although that didn't end well but uh you know, not to be crude, but uh, this movie—I mean, this movie got me laid. I guess technically, if you really want to look at it like that. So I don't know if I'll ever be able to get rid of this DVD. <laughs> I'm so glad you finished your story with that detail, Brad, because that—I've actually never seen Garden State, but that right there, that detail about um, getting a girlfriend out of it, getting laid via Garden State—that's exactly what I think of when I think of that film. Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> I had a roommate in call co- in college who was obsessed with that movie, and he most <laughs> certainly got laid off of Garden State. Um, but he he was like unironically kind of like infatuated with that film. Yeah, um, the I don't know the manic pixie dream girl trope or whatever was that was his wheelhouse. He was a romantic at heart, and he was all about it. And in fact, uh, he was in the film program at the college we went to. And uh, that's essentially what he was trying to make with his short films and stuff was that kind of film, like a indie drama slash like proto, like not a proto rom-com, but like rom-com adjacent, I guess. Yeah. You know, cute, an indie drama that has that level of cuteness to it that gives you the feels and whatnot. Um, but no, I, I haven't bothered to see it because of all the things that you pointed out about it because i know it i know its reputation i know the kind of things you have to expect going into it and it it just makes my stomach turn i'm just like this sounds saccharine i feel like just the music alone would deeply upset me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i feel like i'd be watching the movie and just muttering under my breath the whole time fucking white people (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's about that's about right honestly um yeah it's it's just it's it's way too yeah schmaltzy cutesy yeah, yeah it's it's the it's the definition of like a an indie dramedy and because of that it's that's the reason it's not great but honestly the last time I might have watched it might have been when I did watch it with that girl I dated in college so um and then I uh, I burned her the uh, the Garden State soundtrack and I'm just I, I want to punch myself just thinking like just talking about it like that like. Oh my God! Like that was that was my move. Watch Garden State and burn them the Garden State soundtrack. Thanks, Zach Braff. <laughs> what is it? Frank Costanza stop short. Brad Burns Garden yeah. State. <laughs> That's his move. <laughs> oh man! But I uh, mean, we we all we all have our our repertoire. We all have our our safety zones. I mean, in in our in our dating uh, periods of our lives and whatnot. I'm sure we all have our like. Our, our our skill set it's yeah. it's like a oh, yeah. it's like a wrestler it's like you know you don't do every move you just do the ones that you're known for and whatnot like you're mm-hmm. not going to see hulk hogan go off the top rope just anytime you know <laughs> like no that's that's mm-mm, mm-mm. you won't don't y'all blow out your knees or something but uh yeah i don't see myself checking out garden state anytime soon uh zach braff in general for some reason maybe it's because of that film's reputation uh I have just like a slight aversion to him in general. Mm-hmm. Although I've I've heard mostly good things about Scrubs. A lot of a lot of my friends like out like beyond the college years <laughs> um, really say a lot of good things about Scrubs. And 
I don't know what he's been up to lately, but it sounds like he's kind of gotten a little bit eccentric with his uh, film projects as of late. Um, but just in general, he's not really on my radar. Um, yeah. I don't know what he's up to these days. Well, I know he's, uh, at least he was, uh, dating Florence Pugh. So, you know, he's still doing uh, pretty well for himself. But, um, yeah, I think... I mean, the... he's got the Garden State at ready. <laughs> he's like, hey, un- unlike those other guys who just burned Garden State, I made Garden that, State. That is true. That is true. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, the thing that woke me up for this movie is when I watched Zach Braff's follow-up. I can't remember, like, Wish You Were Here or something like that. And it was so bad. It was so like I, it was that movie was so bad that I probably went into the movie theater to see that movie, still saying that like Garden State was one of my favorite movies, and I left the movie hating it. Like that that's like that movie woke me up to how Garden State is not great. Um, and if I watched it just because I've seen it so many times, I probably still would get some enjoyment out of it. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's. Not great, um, and yeah, I haven't watched it and watched it in a, I haven't watched it in a long time. I'm not ready to uh, to go through that. Well, it's a it's a historic touchstone in your life narrative, so I, I can see why you keep it around. Um, I certainly have things like that. That's it's almost like a it's a totem of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> just a marks a moment in time, uh, helps mark the passage of time, but. Um, this leaves this leaves me in kind of a an odd spot here because I don't really have an equivalent to something like that uh, at least amongst my DVDs you know like a movie that I uh, I come back to and don't exactly look look as fondly upon as I used to but yeah. um I'll just uh throw you a curveball here uh, in the old, in ye old uh, DV dumpster here uh, so for my next pick here I have a little movie called wolves <laughs> so uh there's a little story behind why i own this um i picked this up at a secondhand store um funny enough like a couple of blocks away from scarecrow video um it's called uh, i think owls uh, games and videos or something it basically any form of media you can find in there secondhand they have a lot of good records and video games and movies and stuff mm-hmm. um Anyway, I actually sought this out after I was exploring some stuff on the Wikipedia, um, and I bought this in anticipation of a project that has yet to come and more than likely will never come on Catching Up on Cinema, and that would be a uh, David Hayter month. Uh, so I'm not sure. Uh, are, do you know who that is if I just tell you, like, off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay, so David Hayter, is, he's not a household name by any means, but... Um, David Hayter is most famous for providing the voice acting, the English voice acting for uh, Solid Snake in the oh, Metal okay. Gear Solid games. Um, he also, I think, wrote the screenplays for the first two X-Men movies and uh, the Scorpion King. So not great screenplays, but, you know, working in Hollywood for sure. Um, but in between that, he's, you know, worked in the film industry and the games industry and uh wolves funny enough is written and directed by david hater um he he only has a few movies under his belt but um, one of his very 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 few on-screen acting roles is in a movie that isn't great but i have like a personal connection to it that's a guyver 2 dark hero um he plays the protagonist in it and he's basically he basically got the role for having great hair and for being able to say Giver really, really well. 
<laughs> because whenever the movie springs into action mode, it's like Power Rangers. It's some other guy in a rubber suit doing all the action. So he's just there to be handsome McDude face and say, Giver! <laughs> and that's it. But this movie, I do not know why why he was passionate about both writing and directing it, but it's a curious little film. It's not actually that bad. Um, that, that was actually like a disappointment because like everything about it, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be awful. And I was totally expecting it to suck. And then it was like, okay. And then I didn't really know what to make of it. But one curious element of it is that it came out in 2013 and Jason Momoa is prominent among the cast like he's like one of the major players in the cast not only that um i don't know the actor's name but the fellow that plays um havoc in the most recent uh x-men films uh he's a monster trucks guy (laughs) okay yeah yeah um he's also in there so you have you know an x-men alum and then aquaman in a 2013 you know direct-to-video werewolf movie um and it's funny too because like the the basic plot of the movie is very akin to like an X-Men story where it's basically a commu- a community of werewolf people um and they have Jason Momoa looking like Rob Zombie in here because why not in fact he's he's even got the stupid top hat and stuff it's like, <laughs> like nice <laughs> nice does he sing Dragula uh something akin to it is certainly on the soundtrack but it's a low budget <laughs> film i doubt they could afford to pay off yeah, Rob Zombie yeah. but um, part of the novelty of it is that, uh, there's a lot of action scenes involving people in full werewolf makeup, like not CGI, but just like people in full werewolf makeup, choke slamming each other in the woods. Um, and actually now that I recall, that's how I found this movie. So, um, a good buddy of mine who was very recently on catching up on cinema, Orion, uh, he and I used to make uh, short movies, uh, for YouTube and stuff. And uh, we did a fight scene challenge uh, for a fella named uh, Rustic Bodomov, uh, Rustic B. Uh, he used to f- uh, host these uh, fight competitions where basically he's a, he's a uh, active stunt player in Hollywood. And uh, basically you would submit videos to him and he'd like critique them. And I was like, oh, that that's really that's cool. cool. I could actually get some insight yeah. from some guy who's actually getting paid to do this shit. Uh, so in a hurry orion and i used to like slap together fights and stuff just he and i like horsing around in the in the front yard or whatever <laughs> and uh, one that we did for the halloween challenge was it had to be halloween themed and i'm still a little bit salty about this we were pretty much the only crew that submitted anything for that month's contest that was that actually went to great lengths to have a halloween theme like actually tell a story with our fight scene so it was orion turns into a werewolf and i have to I have to make him tap out because that's the only way to reverse a werewolf's curse in the fiction of this video. <laughs> okay. So um, when we first came up with that idea, uh, Orion actually Googled like werewolf fight in YouTube. <laughs> and this was actually one of the movies that came up and I was watching a clip with him and I was like, what the fuck movie is that? <laughs> like he was pulling up all sorts of werewolf movies on YouTube, like like American Werewolf in London and certainly Van Helsing, um, mm-hmm. which was really shocking because um, I was able to quote like the the final battle like word for word, and I was like, I've seen that movie like twice. Why do I know Van Helsing so well? Wow. <laughs> like I felt really embarrassed in that moment, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, one of the movies that came up in his searching, in his Googling, was this Wolves movie. 
and yeah uh to be completely honest it's a it's like a coming of age story that if you take away the hokey makeup and stuff it is just like your basic like teen teen drama i mean you could easily apply like werewolfism to like maybe unconventional like i don't know sexual alignment or something like that um and the story plays out pretty much similar to like an x-men style story but Hmm. it's it's not half bad um and you know someday maybe we will do a david hater month um convincing kyle to do that might be kind of difficult though because just looking at the cover art for this um, he's probably going to look at me caca i'd be like you want me to watch what (laughs) 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 and especially because he doesn't have like a gaming background so like if i say solid snake he he doesn't know what the fuck i'm talking about okay (laughs) if i say metal gear he doesn't know what i'm talking about um but yeah that's wolves uh it's again not half bad so is there uh, now i know you said it's kind of more of a coming of age type of thing is there any like you know horror element to it at all like is there any gore or anything like that or there is some gore like okay. it, it does have some bloodletting for sure uh it's it has like a little bit of a mystery vibe to it where there's like a a new kid in town who he's not sure of his parentage and it's you can kind of piece together what's going on and then uh, they do the typical werewolf trope of like because he's the new guy in town and because it's a werewolf town like everybody's kind of standoffish with him and uh it's it's pretty well put together for what it is um even even with the hokey makeup effects and stuff in some ways like i think they knew what they were doing because there there is a there's a sex scene wherein they transform mid sex so they know what the fuck they're doing (laughs) nice Nice. yeah Yeah, they know their audience (laughs) might have to look up that scene on youtube (laughs) (laughs) okay well brad balls to you what you got well you know i I don't know if i should do this i don't know if this is allowed but uh (laughs) you know i we're we're in different locations so you can't really stop me unless you edit this out afterwards but i'm going to mention a movie that i haven't even watched and that is that to just to show how much this is a dv dumpster um it is in my collection, so I guess I, it does count. This is a movie that was gifted to me and uh, never checked it out. It is a sequel. It's another sequel. It is the sequel to Donnie Darko S. Darko, <laughs> which, um, you know, kind of, you know, around the Garden State era when I was, you know, just going gaga for Garden State, I was also going... Uh, Gaga for Donnie Darko. Now, Donnie Darko, I think, is um, a better film than Garden State. I have not watched it in quite a while. Uh, you know, at, at at some point, I would have said Donnie Darko. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Now, I would not. Um, but I, I would still say, I, from what I can tell, I still like it. So, uh, at the time, I was really into Donnie Darko, and I think my mom found this DVD and gave it to me. Uh, specifically, I guess I should say the title is S. Darko, A Donnie Darko Tale. So, they had to get the the Donnie Darko in the title. But yeah, I believe this is a sequel that follows the uh, sister, um, the younger sister, and uh, I've heard nothing but horrible things about this movie, and I just never watched it. Um, and I I can't say I'm all that interested in uh, ever watching it. I don't think uh, Richard Kelly, it doesn't look like he had anything to do with this. I don't even see him get a producer credit on this. So he's got no hand in this uh, cookie jar. And, yeah, maybe one day if I'm really, really desperate, uh, I would maybe check it out. But I don't know. Maybe if I check – I don't even think I've watched a trailer for this. 
Uh, but maybe if I watched the trailer, it would spark something in me where I'm like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. But yeah, it looks like just a, a lame cash grab that came like 10 years after the original or something, weirdly enough. Um, so yeah, very interesting. But I guess, I mean, I guess the thing with Donnie Darko is that it did grow in popularity over time. So maybe it does make sense that they tried to cash in on the popularity so far down the road. But um, yeah. Have you ever have you even heard of this one? Uh, no, I haven't heard of S. Darko. And uh, funny enough, I mean, I don't know what it is about some of these like movies that are really, 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 really big among my contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're close enough because um, that same roommate <laughs> from my from my college experience was all about Donnie Darko. But I don't know what it is about me, but I, I never saw it. Uh, I've never seen Donnie Darko. Um, even though I was surrounded by people who liked it. And maybe that says something about me. I do have a little bit of contrarian in me. Um, and if you look at my shelf, you can tell that it's like, I go with what I want. And the more times you tell me to do something when it comes to my media diet, I'm, I'm more than likely just going to keep ignoring you. It's, yeah. it's going to get even worse to the point they'll actively avoid it. But yeah, I've never seen Donnie Darko. And this is the very first time I've ever even heard of this S. Darko thing existing. Um, it does have a Wikipedia entry, unlike Cross 2 and 3, though. <laughs> so that's something, I guess. It's got a little something going for it, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would recommend at some point watching Dar- Donnie Darko. Um, that is one I would definitely be curious to uh, revisit as well. But maybe if I revisit Donnie Darko, maybe I'll finally give S. Darko a shot. Like, just what a terror. Like, I why is it S. Darko? Like, I think her name is Sam. It's just like, like, why is it S Darko? Why not Sam Dark? Like, it just, I, I don't, I don't. Maybe, maybe the movie explains it. I don't know, but very strange. Um, and yeah, definitely feels like a, a weird cash grab. Um, but the yeah. girl uh, in it is Deve uh, Chase, who I think she might have actually been the younger sister in the original, but she's also the uh, creepy girl from The Ring. So you know, there's at least somewhat of a recognizable face in there yeah it does look like she's listed in the cast for the original um yeah i want to say like the mid to late 2000s was an interesting time period for for direct-to-dvd films Mm -hmm. like the the market was actually growing um in fact like one of the thing one of the movies that really really got me started on paying more attention to the direct-to-video market um was undisputed too um, <laughs> which is a Scott Adkins film. In fact, that yeah. was the film that introduced me to Scott Adkins. Uh, he plays the antagonist in it, and uh, his performance was so stunning in you know in a you know bargain bin martial arts movie. Yeah, uh, that that character was promoted to protagonist status for all the sequels thereafter. Wow. Um, but that was a direct to DVD movie uh, that had just enough just enough backing it that they got some like tv time for advertisements and stuff Mm, okay and i want to say that was maybe 2006 or 7 uh and this being in 2009 like i want to say this was like the sweet spot for getting like direct to dvd sequels to you know major studio productions like actually putting some money behind them and trying to make legit films out of them Mm -hmm. um so it doesn't it's not super surprising although donnie darko like from what little I know about it by reputation does not strike me as the kind of movie that would warrant a sequel. No, no, I don't think so. Um, 
which makes this all the more interesting. I should watch this at some point. I mean, my mom probably paid nineteen ninety nine for it. Let's be honest. So I should probably watch this just to uh, feel like she didn't waste her money. Yeah, do it for mom. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was but a very thoughtful gift. It was. Come on, it's your mom. <laughs> do it for her. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like I do this every time we talk, Brad. But like, how about this? Like, would would Donnie Darko like warrant a revisit on the Cinema Speak podcast? I, w- I would be down for a revisit of that movie for sure. Um, I think it, definitely it's a movie that would lead to an interesting discussion. Um, and it's the kind of thing where I kind of remember how everything makes sense and goes together. But, you know, there's a lot of weird, you know, intricacies with the plot. And I don't know how much you know about it, but there's, you know, time travel element. And, you know, there's stuff like that where it it is interesting just to kind of try and piece everything together. Well, let me let me... Let me challenge you then, Brad, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia here, and it looks like it came out uh, at Sundance, January nineteenth, two thousand one, um, and it came out like in general release form, October twenty sixth, two thousand one. So that's twenty years. That's an anniversary. Seems like time, Brad. I think I think it might be. I think it might be. Now, would you be interested in uh, doing a first time watch for that, or, or are you just challenging me alone? I, I would most certainly be interested. Um, I don't know if it would be better for like you and one of your buddies who is also like familiar with it to mm-hmm. have at it. But yeah. I think it would be a good excuse for you to you know do your mama proud and crack open that sequel just to see where this where the story went. Um, just you know if if you're going to need incentive to, to check it out, you know. The 20th anniversary of Donnie Darko may as well be it, I guess. Yeah, and I need to juice my uh, my letterboxed account so I don't have nothing but high ratings. I got to juice some of those low ratings so it doesn't look like I give everything <laughs> universal praise. So this could be a good excuse for that. Well, good timing for the DV dumpster then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get some shit on my watch list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the folks on Letterboxd don't think I'm a pretentious bastard. <laughs> Only watches good movies. <laughs> okay well hmm again i'm in a spot where i'm not sure uh how to approach this uh so i'll just uh do what seems to be the theme of the day with the dv dumpster and that would be uh unwarranted sequels to theatrical films yeah <laughs> um, so i have here highlander the source from 2007, and you better fucking believe this is a Lionsgate film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> and it has a slipcase, Brad. <laughs> you know, the so, cover yeah. art, actually, I, I don't mind the cover art. It's pretty nice looking. It's minimalist. I kind of hate the font. It's just like bare bones, just like it, you could put this up at a steakhouse and it would, yeah. <laughs> it would probably <laughs> do the job. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, this movie sucks. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what your feelings are about the Highlander franchise. Um, I know Kyle, <laughs> Kyle famously or ma- perhaps infamously couldn't couldn't get through like the first 20, 30 minutes of the first one. Like mm-hmm. I, I kept telling him like, oh, yeah, it's, it's worth a look. It's not great, but it, there's some stuff in there. You might get you might like it. And he like texted me. He was like, I can't do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I can't do this shit. <laughs> and as far as I know, he hasn't gone back and tried it again. Uh, so forevermore highlander is like on a on the potential list of episodes for catching up on cinema um i i don't think any of the highlander movies are particularly good 
but just something about the time period in which I was raised where I was growing up like Highlander was really a big thing like Mm -hmm. we had a cartoon we had a television series we had I think two television series Um, we had maybe three or four movies released in my lifetime Uh, that would be after the release of the first two uh, Highlander just won't go away um, and it's kind of this thing that it's like it was I don't know if it was ever good but it's it's always been around and it's it's like campy and stupid in exactly the way that I kind of like in some ways like, yeah n- nothing about like the action presentation is good but that first movie I I maintain it's a it has some merit to it like it's a I can't remember the fellow's name. I'm actually going to have to look him up. I feel sorry for myself. Uh, Russell Mulcahy uh, directed the first two Highlander movies, and he's an Aussie uh, that is known for being a good shooter, kind of like Ridley Scott, where it's like his movies always look fantastic. But that's kind of the end of it when it comes to his skill set. (laughs) His movies all look great, but he he doesn't know anything about, like, how to pick a good script and how to direct actors and stuff but his shots are sumptuous his edits are really smooth and cool like highlander is famous for the uh, time period transitions where they kind of do the uh was it the rope trick where they slip behind something and all of a sudden we're in a different place mm, where it's mm-hmm, like you yeah. hide your edit um, yeah. it's it's a really simple technique but it's done really really well and it's coordinated really really well in the first highlander um but highlander the source is not highlander one um highlander one has you know the it has the charm of christopher lambert and his strange delivery Uh, (laughs) we talked about this on some recent episodes where sometimes just having a particular kind of accent can cover anemic acting ability where it's just like he said that funny i think it was good (laughs) (laughs) it's like hang on so we have a a french guy but he's kind of American, and he's playing a Scot. It's like, what the fuck accent is that? Don't question it. It's good. <laughs> then we have, like, Clancy Brown kicking all sorts of ass, and, of course, Sean Connery, God rest his soul. Um, you know, the first Highlander was good. Second one is a massive fucking disaster <laughs> that should have been the end of the franchise, and yet it, it limped on with, like I said, multiple television series and numerous film sequels. And Highlander the Source as far as I know, is the end of the fucking road. I know they've been talking about making a remake. Um, like, seemingly every franchise I've talked about today, they, they have been talking about remaking Highlander. Whatever. It was mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, maybe you'll do it better. It was never that great to begin with, even though I have a soft spot for it. But Highlander the Source, is, it's meant to be, like, the end of the story. It's meant to, It brings in, like, most of the story and the characters from the TV series, which I caught sporadically when I was a kid. I never really followed it, but it it's it's very steeped in the lore of the television series. But um, much like Bloodsport 4, it has like a very chintzy, very like Eastern European vibe to it, where it's like, so you just hung out in the woods in Bulgaria and shot some stuff and, <laughs> and, and put a whole bunch of color filters over it in post to make it look like somebody knew what they were doing <laughs> it's like yeah it has that weird color correction and stuff it, it, it's artistic it's like no it's it's blue and i can't see anything thanks <laughs> and on top of that the acting performances are all horrendous uh, the the antagonist in it is absolutely laughable um he has some truly truly legendarily bad line deliveries uh, again a very curious accent his 
even his outfit is dumb. Where it's like mm-hmm. he's he's wearing this hat that I'm sure is part of some like actual medieval like armor set or something. But he lo- he looks like an old timey like 1940s football player or something swinging around a broadsword, and it's just like, dude, no, <laughs> no, no, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, and then like whenever there is like green screen effects, it's it's utterly laughable. And icing on the cake is uh, there's a cover of Princes of the Universe, uh, you know, the Queen song, which was mm-hmm. of course the theme song of the first film. Um, and it, it's like as soon as it hits, it's supposed to be like the the right stuff, kind of like heroes walking in a line moment in slow motion. I think they even put an explosion behind it, and you just like rear back in your seat, and you're like, "Oh no, <laughs> like, this this is not good." <laughs> it's the kind of thing that if I was watching it with other people, I think I'd have to excuse myself from the room. I'd, I'd just mm-hmm. be too embarrassed to be like, "No." People people should not know that I have this on my shelf, and yet I do, because I I bought like the whole Highlander franchise on DVD, and it was a it was a package deal. Like it's like it was the kind of thing where the seller kind of like conned you into it. <laughs> it's like okay, I'll sell you, I'll sell all of this to you for this price, but you got to take Highlander the source. <laughs> it's like you. That's best. like how you get like some sort of curse on you. That's like the start of a movie where you get cursed. Like you have to accept this part of the deal with it. <laughs> yeah, it's the Highlander curse. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, uh, same story with the the Bloodsport movies. I didn't actually want Bloodsport four. In fact, I hadn't seen Bloodsport 4, nor was I aware of its existence, but I found a listing that included all four movies, and I said, sure, why not? And now I just have this extra movie that I'll never watch again. Uh, and that is very much the case with Highlander the Source. Now, uh, what year did this uh, come out in? 2007. Wow. I, now, yeah. I, didn't, I did not know that there were this many Highlander movies. I'm just trying to think, you know, if queen did the original tune i you know obviously i was just thinking like who of that era would be like the equivalent of queen if they like you know if they could have gotten for the for the cover version you know like maybe some panic at the disco or fallout boy or something like that cover it that could have been could have been good they were in bulgaria brad they only had access to bulgarian talent (laughs) (laughs) i don't i'm not well versed in the artists of bulgaria unfortunately so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to Americanize it. Well, you you need to catch up on your uh, DV dumpster diet then, because uh, if you're if you watch enough uh, direct to DVD movies, you get used to seeing the Bulgarian wilderness. <laughs> yeah, I definitely I do need to catch up on my DV dumpster diet. I I definitely do. <laughs> well, that being said, Brad, um, ball is to you, sir. What you got next? All right, this one, it might be my last one. It's the last one that I pulled off the shelf. Um, and this one, again, I think it's something that has its merits, but uh, it has not aged well, in my opinion. Um, and this is actually a TV show, and it is the complete first season of the Andy Milanaka show, <laughs> which, um, you know, this was an MTV show. I don't know when this came out. It had to be, you know mid 2000s somewhere around there something like that maybe maybe 2008 2009 something like that and at the time i don't know i i remember me and my uh buds really enjoying the show and getting uh, a good laugh out of it you know certainly it was an mtv show but certainly felt like it was 
kind of inspired by the adult swim kind of style humor. A um, little bit of like a Tim and Eric light sort of thing. And I did kind of go back and watch this first season uh, not that long ago. I mean, it was honestly probably like seven, eight years ago now. But, you know, rewatched it. And a lot of the sketches don't hold up. Uh, it is a sketch show. Um, a lot of them are just bad, like just not funny or creative or anything. But there are a few that are actually pretty cool. There, there's the thing that I think is the best recurring joke on this show, the Andy Milanaka show, is like every episode they have one, I wouldn't even call it a sketch, just like one scene where there's this running gag that Andy Milanakis is turning into this old black man smoking a cigarette holding a fish. And it'll be like this thing, like the one I can remember is it's a it's a scene of Andy doing a self, he's painting a self-portrait. And it's like the camera is uh, like tracking around him in the self-portrait. And so we see him painting the self-portrait, him looking in the mirror, looking at back at the self-portrait, and it's a picture of him. And then when the camera comes back around, all of a sudden the self-portrait is the black man holding a fish, smoking a cigarette. And then it turns out that now it's the, the man, the black man holding the fish, smoking the cigarette, who's painting the self-portrait. And like there's just like weird, like just weird out there humor like that. So I think that is hilarious. I love those moments. Um, but overall, it's pretty, uh, you know, sophomoric and not great. And, you know, I can see why I was pre- maybe middle school, high school. I don't know how old I was, but whatever age I was, I can see why at the time I and me and my friends thought it was very funny. But um, it's not that great anymore. Like, it's basically like if these sketches were on YouTube, you would probably just hit the dislike button. <laughs> but there, there's a few gems in there. There's a few gems amidst the uh, rest that deserve to be in a dumpster. I feel like uh, the Stevie dumpster needs to have like a subtitle where it's like, I don't know, the diving into the history of Brad. Or it's, like, yeah. it's like it's like going back in time a little bit because it, it almost feels like there's a distinct like cutoff in time wherein you stop buying DVDs. Yeah, uh, uh, I think the last DVD I bought that uh, went like that was only that, where I could still buy like it on Blu-ray. Like I've still bought some DVDs post this, but just they're only available DVD. The last DVD I chose to buy um, was Spring Breakers, so that was like 2013, maybe. So I mean, I was you know still kind of buying DVDs well into. I like I was had some on Blu-ray, and I don't know. I was just. I think it was just because I was stupid and it was a money saving thing. And I finally woke up and cut that shit out of my life. But uh, <laughs> had, to, had to Tony Robbins, the, you know, get a life coach and cut the toxic crap out. Uh, you got to do a Maria Kondo. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you like, have given, you've coach. brought me joy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I think it's so funny that like I feel like every time we do this show, Brad, you you pull up stuff that I haven't seen, and that, again, that's part of why we do this show is we get to do a little bit of show and tell. And um, I've never actually watched the Andy Milanakis show. Was it like an MTV Two or something show? I think the first season was MTV, you know, original. But I, I think maybe I think because they did a second season, maybe even a third, and I believe that was MTV Two only. Um, 
And so I don't think we had MTV2. So I really only was familiar with the first season. But yeah, I bought this DVD set and, you know, me and my friends, we'd watch the episodes over and over again. And it's it's really stupid stuff. But uh, there's there's some moments of, you know, creativity in there. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like there's a lot of like comedy programs, a lot of sketch shows that that have that. Where it's like it's not like entirely fondly remembered, but they they had a couple of big hits, and sometimes that's enough. And more importantly, like in this case, it's like it, it's a reminder of like who you who you were and what you thought was funny, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to remember like like Mad TV, for instance. They they didn't have all the best skits all the time but like they had a couple that were just like complete like home runs like the the sopranos on bravo or whatever it's still like utterly hilarious i absolutely love that but um andy milanakis was one of those shows that like am i wrong in thinking that has like a little bit of a similarity like to the like the tom green show or something like that uh, I haven't really watched much of the Tom Green show, but from what I know, I would say probably, yeah, it's probably similar. Yeah, there was that interesting stretch of time where it seemed like uh, there was al- almost like a little bit of an anarchic sensibility running through like mainstream media at the time, or not necessarily mainstream, but like stuff targeted at the youths, mm-hmm. where it's just like, we're going to take this person that normally it would not be wise to invest money in. But the kids seem to think he's on to something. So let's take a chance. Let's let's give him some money and some time <laughs> and yeah. see what he comes up with. And if it sucks, well, we only, you know, dumped enough resources into him for like the equivalent of like a, a fourth of a season of normal television. Oh yeah. I mean this show had to be made dirt cheap. Um but the more I think about it, there are I'm getting some actually, you know, good sketches and stuff that are coming back to me. Like one thing that I think is amazing and it's not in this first season is there's a reoccurring thing where he's got an older neighbor who is like a character. And anytime he walks into a scene, he like walks into Andy's apartment and he says, Hey Andy, can I borrow your can opener? And it's like, every time he enters the room, that's what he says. And it's not fun. It's like not funny. It's just like, okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a reoccurring gag. Every time he wants to borrow a can opener, but not funny, but it pays off in an amazing way where in a later episode, Andy goes into his apartment and there's just like thousands of can openers just everywhere. <laughs> Which is a pretty good payoff for a joke that is not funny for however many seasons it takes to get there. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's one of those things that I could totally see myself coming up with something stupid like that. Yeah. If if somebody told me make content and like actually paid my bills, Mm -hmm. I I could totally see myself coming up with something stupid like that just to, you know, fill out time or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, But nowadays we have YouTube and stuff, so guys like that don't really get those gigs anymore no no and uh, you know i kind of miss it because it felt good knowing that like just having like an official you know when there's youtube there's so much of that out there it was nice when there was like only a few handful of like official shows doing that where you could be like you know it was a lot easier to sort through the stuff you liked yeah uh, i i feel like that's a generational difference it's something that i'd I don't know, I'd have to actually do some research into. This is just me talking about out my ass. But I feel like people in our general age range um, are maybe a little bit behind because th- there's tons of people on YouTube that by all rights are essentially like l- legit, you know, entertainers. Um, but 
because you know i grew up with television and you know cable and stuff like that i think of it as like a different thing altogether i think of it as somehow illegitimate just because of what it is as compared to what i'm used to Mm -hmm. um so i guess i just gotta adjust my thinking because no there's there's tons of people that do make a living and do have a sustained like credible audience just through working with those platforms and stuff but uh, the media landscape has changed so radically just in like the past 10 years it's nuts yeah we're getting old man we're getting old we are and it sucks <laughs> <laughs> um but that being said uh, i guess uh i'll close this out um this is going to be a quick one because uh i don't have a whole lot to say about it and i don't know a whole lot about it unfortunately this has been one that um i'm really hoping we get to talk about uh for catching up on cinema someday uh, because it was brought to my attention, again, uh, by my good buddy Orion, uh, who was on the show not too long ago. Uh, we talked about the Silent Hill movie from 2006. Um, this was a movie that he introduced to me as uh, the the worst movie ever. The worst movie he had ever seen, the worst movie he had ever known. Um, mm. He and his brother apparently caught it at like 3 a.m. on like the Sci-Fi Channel or something. And uh, it was just a running gag between the two of them, similar to your Night Train movie. Uh, where no one else knew about it only apparently they couldn't even confirm if this thing existed Uh, but they saw it late night on television and they always talked about it Um, and then it just so happened I was in the room when they were talking about one time and me being you know a little bit of a masochist when it comes to my media diet I I actually asked them do you remember what it was called and they said (laughs) it's called bone sickness whoa <laughs> like, whoa yeah dig that cover <laughs> <laughs> morbid wow. vision films presents hey, bone sickness i gotta say the the back cover i think is even more horrendous that uh red typeface oh my god yeah it's barely legible <laughs> and you better believe that uh that effect put on the the uh the glow effect the stroke put on the uh, bone sickness title you better believe that's like stock settings in photoshop yeah um but yeah you're you're absolutely right the red text on the uh green and black background with a a navy blue rectangle with the special features holy shit it has an audio commentary and outtakes i need to watch that (laughs) so this was both written and directed by brian paulin i'm not sure what year this came out i want to say it was the mid 2000s um based on the fact that it like my eye tells me that this was shot on a dv cam um more than likely one dv cam um and they do have a website brad it's a morbidvisionfilms.com from Mm. the creators of at dawn they sleep and dead girl on film (laughs) uh so i'll just go ahead and read the uh back of the box description because honestly i don't remember this film very well i'm mostly talking about it because i hope orion listens to this and is made aware that yes i own bone sickness and yes i'm gonna make you watch it um alex is terminally ill with a degenerative bone disease for which there is no cure his wife Kristen, tries in vain to help period but even if there were a cure could they afford to pay for it Kristen turns to her friend Thomas for help, and together they seek an alternative medical treat treatment. <laughs> Is that a typo on there? Yeah, treatment. <laughs> a treatment never attempted before. One with unimaginable side effects. One that angers the dead. 
all hell breaks loose when the cure becomes the epidemic. Uh, so yeah, uh, that is what I remember about the movie. Uh, it is about somebody that's sick, and it's about somebody that, that works at like the mortuary and uh, grinds up dead bodies to feed to this guy, and it ends up turning him into a zombie. And uh, yeah, the, a zombie plague starts, and... This movie is bad, but it's it's so low budget to the point that I can't I can't shit on it. Like I'm not gonna yeah. shit on a, a low budget film that, by all rights, like I couldn't make. Like I've I've made things akin to this, uh, much uh, much less grand in scale than this. But I, like I said, I made a fucking werewolf kung fu movie with my friend. <laughs> Obviously, this is the kind of shit I would make too if I had enough money. Um, mm-hmm. But you can tell that. Uh, the people who made this they uh they they watched all the same movies that you and i did brad like yeah. you can tell that evil dead is very much like one of their one of their huge like biggest influences uh there's unfortunately a lot of nudity n- nudity in the movie that uh is a little bit embarrassing uh for me anyway because i remember orion like the way he phrased it was like oh no girl not for that <laughs> like, not, not for bone sickness <laughs> like, like really if you're gonna have if you're gonna try to have a film career and you're gonna take off your top for a movie don't make it bone sickness <laughs> like, yeah please yeah. save it for something else but yeah there's there's a fair amount of that and uh, you can tell this is just you know some guy uh who got his buddies together and and slapped together a movie with with some money because uh, they do have makeup effects. They do have a fucking fog machine. I'm pretty sure they, they built like a, a graveyard set in somebody's garage. And God damn it, I said it before, they have a fog machine. <laughs> and that's not nothing. Um, but yeah, I'm really hoping we get to do an episode on it. it I'm not sure when that would happen, but it's it's been something that I... I put on my shelf expressly for the purpose of talking about on the show someday because it other other than you know talking about it with my friend I can really think of no other reason to revisit it so is is that a fairly recent purchase then not super recent but I guess within the past three years oh, okay yeah yeah um, I'm just looking on uh, on letterboxd the poster uh, it's for must be for there it says special edition at the top so maybe there's a special edition DVD because it's a different poster than your cover art um but the poster on letterboxd it has the uh quote uh from a critic splatterific but the uh the it's attributed to uncle creepy so i don't know uh who uncle creepy is but he says bone sickness is splatterific could just be somebody's uncle that they uh credited on there i i don't know but shit brad it could be my dad <laughs> um no joke like in, in talking to my my little cousin sometimes my dad refers to himself as uncle creepy so really <laughs> yeah so maybe it's him and you know I, I wouldn't be entirely surprised uh it looks like this movie was made in 2004 which makes my handy cam theory the dv cam theory seem pretty solid mm-hmm. um i'm not sure where this was made I it, I want to say it was somewhere on the East Coast, maybe like Jersey or Pennsylvania or something. Yeah, but yeah, it has a Wikipedia page. That's more than could be said for Cross Two and Three. I <laughs> I said it so, before. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is just making me want to watch a bunch of like garbage movies. Like it's been a while since I've watched something truly bad. You know, there's something yeah. to it. There's something fun about it. There is. There's nothing quite like you know watching trash movies with with good people Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Get some more trash. Get some more dumpster in your diet. <laughs> I, I I need to. You know, it's like you can see the like, especially with something like bone sickness. You might I can't say for sure, but I'm assuming you can see some of the passion behind it. You know, because it is so low budget, and you can see that it's made by you know actual people who wanted to make a movie and. As low budget and as bad as it may be, they went out there and made a movie. So in some ways, there is something inspiring about that fact, I suppose. Yeah, actually, this this is part of what draws me to to low budget movies is because I do project a little bit of myself into that, and mm-hmm. uh, like doing a doing a you know public podcast and stuff like that, it, it does make me understand that it's like you know every movie, good or bad, bad especially, you know, it's still made by people. And, you know, at the end of the day, effort does need to be appreciated in some capacity. Um, and, yeah, movies like this, there's a reason why I, you know, haven't been completely trashing it um, as compared to Bloodsport 4. <laughs> 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 because I do appreciate it because I can see, you know, the, the passion and I can see that this is the equivalent of like probably a neighborhood getting together and, you know, putting on like putting on like an elaborate haunted house show or something yeah i mean it, yeah. the budget listed on wikipedia is four thousand dollars um i believe el mariachi was even more than that <laughs> so that'll that'll tell you a little something about how how little they were working with um but yeah I, bone sickness is it it's kind of enjoyable <laughs> unfortunately the only time i've watched it was by myself but i'm sure if i you know put this on with a couple of my friends we'd we'd have a fantastic time with it definitely yeah definitely seems like it, it's one of those movies where you got to have some buds around oh absolutely no it was a bad idea for me to watch it by myself but i i brought it home and i was like oh my god i have bone sickness <laughs> you were so excited i was so excited because <laughs> he, like no you need to understand my buddy was like hyping it up as the worst fucking thing he'd ever seen and i was like i gotta know what that is and i never in a million years expected to find the movie i wasn't like actively seeking it out like like wolves i actually did go to the store looking for that i did go to the w section looking for wolves because i i was actually looking for that but bone sickness i was just like wandering the aisles and i saw bone sickness (laughs) and i pulled it out and i was like you mean it exists in like in physical form i thought this was going to be like one of those like i don't know cable access movies that got lost to time or something but no they printed it and Mm -hmm. you better believe i'm gonna go to their website after we're done (laughs) nice yeah very cool very cool yeah but i guess that uh that brings our uh dv dumpster talk to a to a close here but um as always thanks for joining me brad um of course yeah it was a lot of fun yeah it was it was cathartic i I hope (laughs) very but, cathartic and my, my blood pressure didn't get it raised as much as I, as I thought it would so maybe <laughs> next time maybe next time <laughs> yeah hopefully um but before you go brad uh, how about you let the folks at home know where they can find you and uh your cinema speak podcast yeah well you can just uh wherever you find podcasts search for cinema speak we're also on twitter at the cinema speak on instagram as cinema speak podcast and you can just see a list of all our episodes at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Thanks for that, Brad. Always always so smooth at the ready. You just got <laughs> it in the holster. I got to work on that. But um, yeah, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we're also available on pretty much any podcasting uh, platform you can imagine. So 
fucking Google us. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to us for whatever reason, uh, you can find us on the social medias at uh, Instagram at uh, Catching Up on Cinema, as well as Twitter at Catching Cinema. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, thanks so much for joining us for another Tales from the Shelf, and uh, we will catch you next time. Bye.